Channel 33 is brought to you by SeatGeek, our presenting sponsor and our favorite way to buy and sell tickets to sporting events, concerts, and whatever else you want to go to. With the SeatGeek mobile app, you can quickly and easily buy tickets with just two taps and have your tickets delivered straight to your phone to enter the event. If you can't make the event, SeatGeek now lets you transfer tickets to your friends or post your tickets for sale, all from your phone. As a special offer to Channel 33 listeners, SeatGeek is giving $20 back off your first purchase with the promo code BSPN. To get $20 back off your first SeatGeek purchase, download the SeatGeek app today and enter promo code BSPN. I need support staff to clear the room. Stand up and walk now. Now. Hello and welcome to The Watch on the Channel 33 podcast feed. My name is Chris Ryan. I am an editor at The Ringer and joining me on the other line, he just got mugged by God, but he took his wallet instead. It's Andy Greenwald! Whoa, I like that little tweak there. Yeah, Executive you know, editor, that good. updating my social proof. This is good. I like, you know, I think people appreciate to watch, hopefully, the podcast, but it's really just kind of an evolving CV. Yeah, you know it's like I mean? it's, it's really just like a, a audio document LinkedIn. of our lives. Yeah, definitely. Andy, this is The Watch. We are on the Channel 33 <laughs> podcast feed. You can find us by searching for Channel 33 on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher, where you should subscribe. We have plenty of good podcasts. We are also affiliated and only come to you through the benevolence of TheRinger.com, which is a forthcoming website that I am working on with a bunch of people. Uh, it's coming from the Bill Simmons empire, and you can go to TheRinger.com now and sign up for our newsletter, which should be uh, hitting your inbox in a little less than a month, probably a couple weeks, and um, it will have all sorts of good stuff for you. Follow us at Ringer on Twitter, uh, at Ringer on Facebook, at Ringer on Instagram. Andy, do you have any anybody you'd like to follow on Instagram? I... No, I have a lot of people I'd like to unfollow. I just want to say <laughs> we got to just get on the same page about this because if you keep dropping billion dollar ideas like audio LinkedIn just casually, I can think of a, get, I when, wish when I just knew a, a venture capitalist who might fund that idea. When is our ship going to come in is what I'm saying because the only thing better than just countless emails from people that you know that maybe uh, sent me a record to listen to once 15 years ago would be just hearing them ask to connect with me. I know, that would right? Be so much better. It'd make a much more vibrant, vibrant 360 experience. Chris, um, we got a lot to talk about. I just wanted to see, like, you know, we've been recording pretty regularly these days. It feels good, but there were a couple of days we were at Radio Blackout. How was your weekend? How you doing, man? Oh, it's dynamite. Thanks for asking. Uh, I spent most of Sunday watching good. television to prepare for this podcast. Uh, Saturday, <laughs> I had uh, I went to Plyer Provisions in in uh, Mar Vista. Had a lovely fried crab okay. claw, like a crab claw pop with a, a Old Bay mayo, and then a habanero sauce. You can get a little mix and match with your dips. You know that was uh-huh. phenomenal. And uh, you know, wow. it's another another glorious weekend here in Los Angeles. How about you? I just wanted to say I learned something this weekend, and, and maybe you know I, I know we I know we are we are running low in our indulgence meter when we talk about Kanye, so we don't need to do it too much. But I just wanted to like I feel like part of this podcast is helpful helpful hints, and there's something I learned this weekend that I feel like I should share with people, which is that there is no way to try and play any part of the life of Pablo for anyone without inadvertently turning into uh, Alfred Molina at the end of Boogie Nights. Like there, there's just. There's no way to put on any track on that album. Do you like, all of a sudden discover without... that you're wearing slippers and a tank top when you fit play? <laughs> yeah, it, it, and there was a small Chinese boy setting off firecrackers in the foyer. Like, I'm, I'm just saying there's That's something your about that record drop? And, my yeah. own, and my own excitement about it, where I was like, I just wanted to share publicly when Bam Bam comes in on, on Famous, which is, you know, now what I've set my pacemaker to is the, the arrhythmia of my life. But there's just no way where it's not like my awesome mixtape 16 and Thomas Jane is about to kick in the door with a shotgun. Like, there's no good way that this ends. So what I'm saying is just only share that record with people you know and trust, you know, and, and have been – people you have seen at Jack Horner's house in the Valley. That's all I'm saying. It sounds like you had a little habanero sauce this weekend, maybe with a little Old Bay Mayo as well. Uh, Andy, we are here to talk I, I always do. about a huge night uh, – huge uh, night for Sunday Night Television. <laughs> um I feel like I started watching at six Pacific and 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 wrapped it up around like eleven thirty Pacific. That I mean, I take my time with these things. I I made a uh, veggie burger and a, a corn and a really nice roasted broccoli that we caramelized with some <laughs> what sugar. Are you talking about? So 
started the night in one time zone and ended it in the same time zone. Like, already this night is blowing my mind. No, I'm just kidding. It was a good night for TV. I want to get to all of it. Let's start with the the quote-unquote dramas. Um, Billions and Vinyl, which... uh, Vinyl, vinyl episode two, but it would probably feel like episode five for people who got through the pilot, which is two hours long. Uh, and Billions, which I think is on episode six or seven at this point. The last episode on Sunday was called The Deal. And uh, I call them dramas, dramas, but I think the reason why I got so into these shows this week is because I realized they're both comedies. I think this is a great take. I'd like you to extrapolate on this a little bit. Um, I liked parts of the Billions pilot, and I certainly just always appreciate the chance to watch something that Martin Scorsese has directed. But Alan Coulter and Terrence Winter were on the on the con for for this second episode, and pretty much immediately, you can just feel it. It's like this feels like a television show, and that's a relief after you know a two two hour and change movie that we just watched last Sunday night. It was. Really kind of like you just felt the scenes moving faster. You felt conversations ending quicker. You felt the transition or interstitial moments of like Jerry Lee Lewis actually kind of made sense inserted where they were. And then when Bobby Cannavale walks into the Century Records office high on cocaine with rubble covered, uh, covering him from the uh, the, the Mercer Arts uh building collapse and gene genie is playing and then he proceeds to perform karate on all of the dudes in his office i was like this is very funny kind of is completely like in the zone right now and i like if you take this show as not a comedy because obviously it's dealing with lots of serious stuff like murder and and betrayal but the funny moments coming out of it, and you can't have Ray Romano in a show and not find it amusing, I don't think. Like, especially if you're going to give him that, that hairstyle and, and that broken nose and that wife. I don't know. I just really no, thought the, it was the, funny. The, the, scene, the scene when he woke up in the middle of the night and contemplated suicide via nine Valium pills <laughs> while, while weeping in the front seat of his parked car. That's hilarious I thought that stuff. that was hilarious. Yeah, so great stuff. That's a really, really good call. Uh, here's why I like your take on this, because two reasons. One... All the best dramas are often secretly the best comedies. Yeah, Mad um, Men being number Brando's one. Brando's Mad Men, yeah. Breaking Bad. That's absolutely the case. But two, I think it's an enormously generous way to look at these shows, even if you are not finding yourself particularly moved by the drama of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's one issue that links these shows in general, which is finding an emotional way in to these shows is a little bit hard, you know, and, and, and that is a top-down design. I'm not going to say it's a problem, but it might be a design flaw, right? Because when you make a show about the 1% of the 1%, um, it's hard to feel sympathy for anybody just off the bat. And I think that's something that the people who make Billions are aware of yeah. working on or working But so they turn Billions into insult but, porn where, like, every scene is basically, like, how how like ornate and hilarious can I like put another person down? And I'm just, I'm loving it. What, as soon as they let get David Costaville off the, off the leash and just let him patrol the yard, it's just, I'm, I'm loving wags, man. <laughs> do, do you know that the, the Costaville is another one of the, like trying to be incognito mustachio dads of Park Slope? Is like, he? Like that dude, Corey Stahl, Buscemi, like all these like cable drama leads. I catch them up at like Mr. Lime Bodega, just just copping the pre the pre packaged pre sliced cauliflower, you know, like at four p.m. That's that's what they're about. It's uh, you know, I know you were talking about the charms of Los Angeles, but I feel like New York speaks for itself and anecdotes like that. Absolutely. Um, but what I'm saying though is you're being very generous in, in appreciating the shows that way because I watched the second episode of Vinyl and I was sort of wishing that it was a comedy. I think that the, I think that. Obviously, it knows that the parts that you're mentioning are funny, and they and that's intentional. But I think a lot of the parts that aren't supposed to be funny are so not self-aware that it could sink the whole enterprise. You know, like no matter what they, no matter what angle they seem to be coming at the material in in the first three hours of the show, all of them end in a place where Bobby Cannavale with the with the uh, veins <laughs> in his neck bulging screams about how this is rock and roll and it's pure. And it matters, you know, and it, it's almost as if he could. But yell everybody's it laughing at him when he says true. that. Like nobody, nobody is like this guy is inspiring me. Everybody's like this guy's a lunatic, and they might do what he's telling you know, them to do. But but the show isn't because the show is using him as a blunt object to basically pummel the history of rock and roll into submission according to a certain set of tastes and guidelines, right? 
like him shattering Jethro Tull's flute solo means something. Sure. It basically, I mean, I, I mean, first of all, good on you. Like, I, I was super into that as an idea. But it's basically saying, like, this has value and this doesn't. This is what was good and this is what doesn't. I mean, it, it's essentially rockism, the TV show. You know, and now, is that a problem? No, not necessarily, as long as the performances are good and the, the storytelling is good. But a, a lot of it just seems to me, it, it's heavy-handed in a way that is a little bit, it's just, it's hard for me to find a way in. So you know, are you like reacting more to the, the Lester Grimes stuff or the more of the nasty bit stuff? In terms of the, oh, like the, no, I, I just mean the way that it's talking about what music is and what music isn't and who gets to decide. You know, it's sort of a funny, it's, fu- it's a funny argument to take when we have this punk band, Nasty Bits, and then our sympathy, I guess, are, are with Max Casella's character, who's like, you guys are terrible. You'll never sell records this way. But I don't yet know if the show is self-aware enough to play that, um, to play the actually interesting and subtle compromises on both sides that create big selling records on major labels. You know, I, I don't, I can't tell yet. So maybe that's me overreacting to something we haven't seen yet, right? Yeah. But right now we're watching the A&R guys be like, you guys are sloppy and passionate and that sucks and we need to get you into shape. You need to learn how to play these chords along, but, you know, be able to play like the kinks. And the band being like, okay, we'll do whatever it takes to get signed. Now, if we're reaching a place where everybody is are, are hypocrites in the same machine, which is kind of what our impression of the record industry was after you know being around it and working as semi part of it for ten years. That's interesting. That's an interesting show. But I have not yet seen that, the sh- that this show, Vinyl, is ready to deal with those kind of low grade subtleties. Well, here's and why maybe I... it will. You should never judge it off of yeah. Well, of and that. this is exactly the larger conversation I wanted to get to, and it ties into billions too, because I think that we both were we hedged our bets on billions when it first came out, and I think that you know we were a little bit critical of. It's sense of self-importance that it seemed to have, but I think right. at episode six, I, what I find is that they've really figured out who these people are and what the central conflict of the show is, which is always like a really nice thing for a show to have is like a central conflict. You remember that like this is the kind of thing that really drove shows like Homeland and drive shows that when you can get a case, when you can get a will they or won't they, will this happen or won't this happen, and this is actually keeping me you know glued to my television it really it really can determine the fate of a show in a way that character and and dialogue which is things i think koppelman and levine know how to do really well as we've seen from their other movies like they just they figured out the pace of the show they figured out the tone of the show and i also just think like there's just now that you've watched five or six episodes it's just like really funny to see certain things happen like last night a couple of things I really enjoyed was Bobby Axelrod's kid reading a Mike Lupica book, which was just like so perfect. And then there was um, the way that Axe dresses so like casually at work, but like it's like $1,000 like super advanced tech fleece, but it'll be like a shawl collar t-shirt as he's giving like this huge speech from the top of his uh, yeah. of his desk. And also I'm just really into that fact that like Malin Ackerman's job on the show seems to be to go to other people's homes to nominally give them a gift but also to be like I will fucking end you. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like whenever Malin Ackerman shows up at your house, that's basically like the cop show version of a guy being like I really hope I grow up to see my kids graduate high school. It's yeah. like you're not. You're not going to do that. So don't tell Malin Ackerman <laughs> what your hopes and dreams are cuz she's here to snuff you out it's like marlon brando reaching for a big bowl of oranges exactly um, what who who plays the malin ackerman role at the ringer have you figured that out yet i think it might be me i think it's definitely you um i'm glad you brought up malin ackerman because i think that's very funny but you think about there, there are a couple things that are just trend lines that are you know worrisome blah 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 but like i just wish they were the opposite and as is often the case with these sort of heavy macho dramas, the, the roles that women have in them, kind of a drag. You know, there's room for a lot of improvement. In I think Maggie Siff's character is pretty, of- pretty interesting in this show, just for what it's worth. I agree with you on that. I, I wanted to talk more specifically about Vinyl. Like, there's a lot of room to grow and change and develop other characters. But when you look at the starting place, and starting place is determined so much because if you change your mind about what you want to do with the characters, you have to do so much paddling and digging just to get to change the, the direction that you already started from. Um, you know, like the, like Olivia Wilde's character, it's interesting that she used to be a factory girl with Andy Warhol. I got such a kick out of that scene. I, like, I, I know that that's just, 
it's basically like reading the alienist or some historical fiction novel where somebody takes a piss next to Franklin Roosevelt, but it was so cool to be like, Oh, Velvet Underground are playing. <laughs> like I just really enjoyed my I'm glad I'm watching a Sunday night television show where the like the Velvet Underground are playing uh Venus and Furs or whatever. Yeah, and I like that. It's just like I, I don't she still seems to me like a like an idea that seemed very cool as a basically as a prop the other characters to, 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 to bounce off of, right? Like, she's just super into him following her into the bathroom and just, you know, having having his way with her in the bathroom. And then she's very forgiving of him, having a 24-hour bender and destroying their den. Um, she has a beautiful visitation from up-and-coming singer-songwriter Natalie Press, which I thought was nice. I You know, I wouldn't mind visitations like that during long car drives. But it, it's just like... It, why is why have we started from that place? Why are we starting you know, ten yards behind the line of scrimmage here with this character when she could be more interesting? Similarly, there's this idea I think in the in the ether of the show that that Juno Temple's character kind of the, the Peggy Olson to his Don Draper, right? Like she wants to to make a career for herself in A and R. She wants to work in this field, but she's still a secretary. They treat her as such, and it's not what, what I'm saying is it's not 1960. In the premiere, this is rock and roll. There are other female characters who might have some agency that we could have included in the show, just for a different point of view. Okay, like we don't have to always do this. It's not just a genre. It's not a genre thing. It's a it's, uh, it's, it's a good point. I mean, I think that there, we've talked a couple of times already about the idea of these shows being a few years too late, maybe in terms of what the appetite right. for culture, the appetite for television is right now. And I think as we talk about the comedies that we've got on plate this week. We'll 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 get into this a little bit more, but I I, I I still have like a huge soft spot for shows that are about men yelling at each other. So I have to like like acknowledge my own biases. We we do a podcast about that too. I, I know mean, seriously, seriously. It's, maybe it's like position heal thyself. Can I just say my one other pet peeve? Maybe this is what's what's bothering me overall about vinyl so far. Can a Jewish actor get a Jewish part on this show? Let Casella like, like, live, man. Let, let Casella just like. Look, I want I want Max Casella to eat. Okay, I've been I've been riding with that dude since, since Doogie was typing into his live journal. Okay, that guy has had an improbably stellar career, and I have all the what a comeback for season for him her. too, though, right? Yeah, but he's he's doing great, man. But like him, Ray Romano, I'm just saying there are some people who have been bar mitzvahed who are, who are definitely auditioning for these parts, and like I, I just feel like they should get a look. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> You know, it's like it's like De Niro playing a Jewish guy in Casino. I'm like, okay, well, you're De Niro. You're the greatest actor of your generation. Fine, but like, I, I just want to I want to advocate for me and 50 percent of you here. And you know, I feel like I'm out on an island yelling about. You want to advocate for Jewish people in the entertainment industry? I feel like we're <laughs> underrepresented, especially in uh, yeah, especially behind the scenes in the music industry. Okay, traditionally. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, uh, let's talk about... um, Okay, here's what I want to say. Part of the lesson, I think, of this week for Billions, and I think one of the reasons why I'm so... uh, I have a lot of faith that vinyl is going to just keep getting better and better every week is that I think I was forced to acknowledge or forced to confront, like, after the first few weeks of Billions and after the first episode of Vinyl, just how hard it is to, like, get a show going and and how hard it is to find the rhythm of that show... And I know that we're coming out of a little bit of a dead period, but generally, I mean, what we've got right now, which is about four or five to seven shows on right now that people might be interested in, there's a lot of competition for eyes. There's not not a lot of time in the day. And if you are bad in your first week, if you're not great in your first week, your first two weeks, people are just out. Like, people just don't have the time. And I just, I mean, that's anecdotal, but I do feel like I hear more and more just people being like, oh, I watched one episode and I just wasn't into it. And... Um, what was interesting about this was that I think that, that that is something that with these shows, they wouldn't... I wonder whether or not these shows should start putting up more than one episode at a time. If they have them available, shows, right? Or... Whole shows, yeah. Like, I wonder if they should have put up the first three vinyls. Like, what's what is the? I know that having a Sunday night is a great thing for HBO. Like, they want to they want to control a Monday narrative like that and have shows that people are talking about. And I think obviously yeah. with something like Thrones, that's that's fine. But I was watching Love, so that's this new show that's on Netflix. Uh, it's uh, Leslie Arfin, Paul Russ, and Judd, Judd Apatow made this show. It's basically about like people looking for love in Los Angeles. 
and I didn't really care for it. And then I watched six of them. And it was just yeah. because it was there, and it was like at the end of the night, at the they they have somehow engineered something very perfect inside of Netflix, where I'm like, I will try again, and I've done that with multiple well, Netflix shows. Yeah, I know, um, I but mean, if I, and I know that Billions is long, and I know that Vinyl is long, and they're very like they have a lot of densely packed information, and it's a lot easier to do this with half hour shows than it is with hour shows. But I almost wonder whether yeah. or not to get momentum, these shows should start considering putting up at least two episodes, if not three. What's well, interesting? The, the the tip of that iceberg was definitely with with critics. Like they they def, networks have definitely made a point of servicing critics with as many episodes as possible, which did not used to be the case. Primarily because they need someone out there on the parapets being like, no, no, stick with it, stick with it, it's worth it. In terms of why they don't, why HBO doesn't do it, for example, I think you were right, certainly about um, wanting to own a night. You know, when Game of Thrones comes back with Veep and Silicon Valley, they can literally, they can just drop the mic and be like, there is not going to be a better evening of television this year than those three shows back to back to back. Um, but the other part of it still is the halo effect, right? They want, if one show does well, they want, people to, to stick it out in the same way that netflix is like here's the next episode starting in five seconds hbo is like well if you like girls here's togetherness starting in five seconds and maybe there's some yeah, that makes sense. relationship there um but i think you're making a great point about love in particular because like you i watched the first episode and i really didn't like it and i watched the second episode and i was like oh this is Okay, I like it. It's fine. I mean, I, I'm enjoying it much, much more. And I, and we're not the only people to say that. Um, Alan Steppenwall has finished the season, loved the season, but was very, very vocal about the fact that you have to get through the first one just to get to the rest of it. And now that's sort of a tough argument to make in this era. In general, definitely hard to make on any place other than, than Netflix. And it's what, one thing I'd want to point out, though, is that it's weird. I, I feel like I'm arguing against myself on this one because one thing that I've bemoaned with just the, the pilot process on television over the last few years is how noisy they've got. You know, just like they just try to cram too much stuff into it, right? They they tell an entire season worth of story or premise in one episode, and then what are you going to do for the next three, ten, fifty? You know, because they're just so ridiculously noisy. You don't get to show any of the bits that make shows good over the long term. Any of the character moments, the quiet bits, the idiosyncrasies. There's no room for that sure. in a pilot because you need to be as noisy as possible. But, you know, full circle here, if we're just going to talk specifically about love, the, the, the pilot is 40 minutes, and it basically sets us up for the looming rotation and eventual romance between the two leads. Um, Gus, played by Paul Rose, one of the co-creators. Yeah, I think they meet in the last 30 seconds of the pilot, right? They meet in the last 30 seconds. It's just like how they got to this point, this random point where they, they're meeting each other in a, um, in a convenience store. And it was rough going. You know, I, I just looked at this show and I just didn't understand. It seemed like another vehicle for the same sorts of mildly angsty, a tiny bit cringy, upper middle class, east side of Los Pop Angeles. culture references. Kind of problems? Yeah, right, right. Sort of have and money problems, but it, not really. You know, like... And, it, and, and so maybe there's a, you know, there's a, in, in, in true Apatow style, there's a, a, a nerdy guy with a sex scene that goes awry. And, um, you know, actually shouts to them, I will say this, uh, recreational ambient use is not something we've seen much of. Um, I'm not, I'm not, even, because... I'm not even mad. I'm impressed. <laughs> you know, I mean, I could not believe how much, <laughs> how much she was able to concert. I, she looked like she took two as well, right? She, she took two ambience on a bathing suit and went to a revival meeting, which, you know, respect <laughs> because, you know, you and I, you and I are sitting here recording our podcast of us yelling at each other as people who. I think we spent an entire calendar year making jokes about people taking sleeping pills and then waking up covered in like amoroso potato roll dust, you know, just like, just, just, just like sleeping under a beautiful blanket of freshly fallen Dorito powder. Yeah, he's like, and why hasn't that repainted Guernica with old mainstream? base, old bay mayo and, and habanero sauce? <laughs> That's what I'm saying. There's a lot of comedy to be mined from that, so I was impressed with that. But, but. You know, I, I just, I, I, I am, I think I am tired of certain Apatovian works at this mm-hmm. point, you know, um, and, and, and yet, when we turned the page to the second episode, and this is the thing I wanted to say about the show specifically, I was enjoying it, and I was enjoying it for two reasons. One, because I think Gillian Jacobs is great. I just think she's a terrific comic actress. I think she's 
completely committed to making this a real live human being, this character of Mickey, in a way that is really enjoyable to watch. She's just great on screen. But um, two, and this might tie into togetherness too, in a way, but you know, there were a couple pieces, a couple think pieces came out about these shows in general, about the sort of like, what are we doing with a sort of like medium toned Silver Lake ennui that has just sort of become the default. Yeah. And we've got, like, what are we saying about transparency? Obviously about a lot of other stuff, but that's its setting. Yeah. You've got, you're the worst Um, set there. Togetherness. Togetherness, which is, I think Eagle Rock, but whatever. And then, uh, and casual and casual. And now love, which is set like just in echo park. So we're talking about like a six block radius that four shows are like largely based in with people more or less working in the entertainment industry or adjacent and people who are, you know, more, more or less have the same amount of, uh, uh, you know, their tax return filings would be similar. Um, their privilege levels are similar and yet they're, they're all, they all seem miserable in, in similar ways. But what I was thinking about when I was watching togetherness and with the second episode of love is that if we could put aside those touchstones for valuing a show mm-hmm. for a moment, it was refreshing to see emotional spark. Like that is still something that is really enjoyable. It's why the idea of the rom-com will always exist because if you can see people with reasonable chemistry and you can, you can really do a deep dive into the contours of their relationship and how they're beginning to get along with each other and like each other, that's still really thrilling to watch and can be very entertaining. And if you have to, I don't know why it always has to be dressed in the same uh, cultural clothing. So Here's you know what thing. I mean because if I was if I was living in Silver Lake, say <laughs> right now, and I, mean, I was at Intelligentsia working on my uh, third draft of a Vampire Detective, uh, a show I'm trying to get, try, trying to get to pilot or whatever. Great, yeah. And and you know people would just be like, you know, I love this, I love this vampire show, but maybe he should be a cop. What if he were cop? What if, what if there were cops? And people were giving me notes on it, and I was trying, and I was trying. And let's say I thought I had like some talent, and then I turned this on. I would just be like, "What the fuck am I doing?" Because like, there's this show is literally I like this show, and it's not about anything. It's just like a, it's just it's crazy that this show got made because there is literally no conflict to this show. It's just like yeah. people that are living in Los Angeles. And honestly, I live in Los Angeles. I find this show really entertaining, but it's not. It's so crazy that these shows keep getting made. There's like five of them right now. This is the gold rush right now. Like if you are spending that all that time in intelligentsia working on your draft, and by the way, let me just say, I would prefer a vampire doctor who's forced to go to the blood bank every so oh, often. Why like, did I, I think, think that, of that? I just fixed it for you. <laughs> vampire doctor who's torn between his professional and personal longings. Like Count Docula. I just, I, just <laughs> I, I, just, I just fixed it for you. Um, but, uh, but if I was working on that and I couldn't get any traction right now, when Netflix is throwing money around like it's like it carries disease on it and they have to get yeah. rid of it as fast as they possibly can, like you cannot. There's a world where you believe that Netflix right now was just a Bruce million scenario, and I would believe <laughs> like that there's someone like like Netflix inherited seventy billion dollars and it has to get rid of all of it by next Tuesday. And all of it has to go immediately. It does, it does really like feel that. like the Hudsucker proxy where like pitches come through that like tubing from the basement. The, the and they like pick up and they're like, yeah. look of a love to East Los Angeles. Sure, sure. Let's go. <laughs> like, You just, I mean, they just want to be making things right now. And, you know, if you have someone to get you in the door like Apatow, it's going to get made. Um, it's hard to make the argument that it's essential, but it's, but it's, it's certainly entertaining. Um, but we're also at this place, and I think this will lead into the, the conversation we want to have about the other shows, where, I, I, to make the music analogy, like, there are, are so many albums right now, and you can pull two or three good tracks off of any of them. Yeah, yeah, right. You know, so, like, with Love, I, Gillian Jacobs' performance is so good. For me, that's worth watching it. But that is not the show. So are you, know you talking I mean? about and, the and idea... Other ones, even, are you talking about casual. the idea, basically, of doing, like... Are we ever going to get to the point where there are playlists, quote unquote, for television? It would be impossible to do it, but right? Because of the narrative is, stuff. But are... if you had enough shows that were like that were like Black Mirror, if you had enough anthology shows where it was like, oh, I can get a tense yeah. sci-fi thriller, a rom-com anthology, a um, you know, 
whatever. Let's just say out of like nowhere, like a, a, a vampire who's also a cop. But every week it's a different case. I, I'm going to say doctor. <laughs> okay. But I, I, the point stands. Um, but um, no, the point is, is that basically like I wonder whether or not like there will be some enterprising person will be like, what if we did less serialization so that people can mix and match their shows a little bit better? So that you're not like, oh, if I fall five I think, episodes behind on the Americans, I might as well say forget it. Right. I think that's very possible. But I also think it's just a, a comment on where we are where, you know, we're watching as much TV as ever, if not more. But in terms of the number of shows that I could actually, you know, um, put on my Alfred Molina bathrobe and be like, you have to watch all of it. Like, this is the one and make a case for it. I could stand behind. It's still about half a dozen, you know, there, maybe across all of TV that I could say to you, like, this is essential. You have to watch all of it. You have to listen to the album to the end, even the bonus. Track. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Um, for, for everyone else, it's your mileage may vary. If there are enough things to, to strip out, like to use casual as an example, the show we never talked about, I gave it a shot because I love Michaela Watkins. I think she's terrific. And I love her in this show as I love her in just about anything. But the show around her was not strong enough for me to keep going with it. Right. I just, that, that, the math didn't work out for me. Um, um, but what do you but, think about, so one show that I think that actually I, I know it's going to be uh, finishing up next season, but one show that I think that you know for as much as it's it's got long long tail plot, you could do girls that way. Like you could do yeah. girls where you just have all of those people get together for random events in their lives over the course of a season, and it's like a wedding, a birthday, a funeral, or whatever you know and. Because they're, part of the joy, I actually really, really enjoyed last night's girls a lot. Um, part of it was that I was like, I cannot believe Kylo Ren is up in this shit. Like, it is just crazy to me that Adam Driver is probably one of like the 10 most famous people in the world right now. And he's just like in yeah. 45 seconds of girls. Um, I am a sap. I really, really, really like the uh, the Adam Jessa thing. I know that it's just like oh. late period. Everybody's hooked up by now. But they actually have super good chemistry. It's not just that. I'm glad you brought that up. That is terrific. And I watched... They're the two best know, actors on that show, aren't they? That might be something. Yes. But, but here's, the, here, here's why it's great. And I've watched, I've watched three episodes of the new season of Girls, and I thought they were all really good, like very strong. And I was a little bit out on the show um, for, a brief, for a period of the last two years, but I, I thought these were really good. Um, but one of the reasons I was out on it was not because they were doing anything particularly wrong week to week. It's going back to the thing we were saying about the starting place. And start relationships to each other, um, kind of put them in a box, you know, because I think for the first season, it was really being made as a kind of auteurist indie film project. Right. And they weren't giving much thought to the issues that, that can plague long-running series, which is why are these people still spending time together? Yeah. What show is this character in versus what show is this character Absolutely. in? Absolutely. And some of those problems were still very much evident in the premiere where it's just like the, the, the Desi stuff, that is a very different show than the show that um, that Adam and Jessica were in, you know, or that Hannah sometimes in. The show sometimes struggles with tone, and sometimes it bugs me too the way it will just write off entire people for a joke to get from A to B. Like I know this is super minor, but like there was a the makeup artist last night is introduced, and B. then just basically gets just thrown in the garbage can so that Jessica can have a moment and the characters can all be together. Now, was it funny to see Allison Williams dressed up like the Babadook? Yes. <laughs> and have her be like, I want to honor my heritage as a white Christian woman. <laughs> <laughs> I did enjoy that very much. Um, but what I'm saying is for as much as a lot of the things I'm talking about are, you know, um, original sin problems that can, that can plague TV shows. The reason why I always love TV shows is when they take advantage of what they have. Like yes. they're, 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 they're looking at what the, they're looking at what the defense has given them and they're taking it. And you look at girls at this point, five years in the characters that actually complement each other and make sense are Adam and Jessica. They, they are on the same show and maybe always have been. They speak the same language. Getting them both into recovery together was a really nice storyline previous years. But I really admire the fact that they saw something that, that I don't know whether it was Lena Dunham or there was Jenny Connor or the people they have in their room by that coming a mile away and we're not afraid to, to to steer the entire ship towards it you know despite what it might mean for like the original shippers of the show or where right. it might lead for drama that is a I, def thing that makes I defy sense. original I mean, shippers to watch, to watch that scene and be like oh wait no i really want adam and hannah to be together come on man absolutely 
That's, no, that's, I know. that's young and, Kylo and, and, and on totally the track. <laughs> young, young Kylo, like who I feel like he, he's considering, in terms of his career arc, he's like, I go to girls during the weeks where I don't have to get my hair cut. You know what I mean? Like he spends his whole life now just being primped. And he's like, I will come back, but I do not have to sit in a chair with a baby of, you know, HBO East. I just don't have to groom. That's my deal. And they're like, okay, right, no problem. It works. So you enjoyed that. Um, That's good. Yeah, I'm glad you liked it. I liked it. I like the second and third episodes even more. I, I they do some stuff in the third episode. They go to Japan with Shoshana, mm-hmm. and it it it's a little lost in translationy. But again, like like Shemmet is good, and she's off the cartoon, and they've all found a way to kind of regulate her in that performance and give her some other stuff to do. So it's it's some smart late late run course correct. What is it? Season yeah. six now? Season five? I was gonna say, I, I think, think it's six. I've, is it six? Oh my god, we're all. My point, but the, the point is, is, is that if not, if you're not gonna take those chances now, if you're not gonna do your Lost in Translation episode, if you're not gonna let Adam and Jesse get together, it's like when are you gonna do it? This is the wrapping it up. It's gonna, you know, I, 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 I love one, it when shows take, one season after this. Yeah, when shows take late season chances, it's great. It's like it's it's why you you work so hard to get to that place. <laughs> What did you think about? Uh, I together? personally have a po- whole plot group. line in season six of Vampire Doctor, where our vampire becomes a, yeah. a Doctors Without Borders doctor. Oh, that's terrific! You know, and because it's, morally, he, morally, he never had borders already <laughs> because he is a blood sucking right. vampire. That Te- technically, Transylvanians don't respect borders. <laughs> That's right. Andy, let's just take a quick break to talk about another one of our presenting sponsors, Uber. We all have those times when we need a little extra money. Well, I've got a really easy way you can do it. Drive with Uber. Uber's a smartphone app that connects riders with drivers. So as a driver, it helps you make extra money driving your own car. And it's totally flexible. You don't have to quit your day job to make more money because Uber lets you make extra money on your schedule. Whenever you need to make extra money, just turn on the app and drive. A few hours here, a few hours there, it all adds up fast. And it's really easy to get started. First, Go to drivewithuber.com and sign up for free. You can do it right now on your phone. Second, answer a few basic questions about you and your car and then get approved. Third, start driving. That's all there is to it. I told you it was easy. Start joining the flexibility of working when you want and earning extra money on your schedule. Sign up to drive with Uber today. Go to drivewithuber.com. That's drivewithuber.com. Drive with Uber, U-B-E-R.com. Hey guys, today's episode is also brought to you by Viceland, which is this new TV channel from Vice, and it's premiering Tuesday, February 29th. I just want to tell you quickly to check out this show that I really like on this network called Fuck That's Delicious. It's hosted by Action Bronson, and it basically features this dude who's like one of my favorite rappers going all over the place eating great food. He's joined by his collaborators, Mayhem Warren and Big Body Bess. And, you know, there's one episode that you can see online right now uh, from before where he just goes to Hawaii and tries to find the perfect bowl of poke which might be on the low like my favorite piece of film content from the last 20 years uh seriously i love this show uh viceland debuts february 29th you can catch fuck that's delicious on march 3rd at 10 p.m uh again viceland premieres february 29th check your local listings what did you think of the show that followed up girls andy togetherness which started its second season it's the jay and mark duplass dramedy is this is this insight into your interviewing process like where i ask you that question and then you just say no but really what did you think of it we just, we just take the shuttlecock and right back at me. I don't think I have an interviewing process. I think it's just Alfred um, Molina as my interview process. <laughs> I, I, I'm more young Chinese boy with firecrackers, but you know that that, that gets a gets a reaction every time. I I, I really like the show. Um, I get why some people want to just 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 bag on it. Um, you know there 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 were. It is a thriving think piece industry to just like to bemoan the the, the Duplass's um, moral and sexual or lack thereof universe. But I just think whatever they've done here, whatever little space they've carved out for themselves, it is absolutely not ambitious um, thematically, certainly not culturally, but it is very ambitious emotionally. And they've carved out just a little bit of space to let these good actors do really interesting, really specific things. And you know, we're talking about um, Gillian Jacobs on um, on Love. I adore Amanda Peet's performance on Togetherness. And the scene that ended this episode between her and Steve Zissis was just like I said. I said it was like fireworks uh, when we talked about it on Friday. I just find it incredibly, incredibly engaging. And it's, a, you know, it's, it's engaging in a very small, bore way. 
but it's a, but again, that if this one works for me. Do you think that this entire season is going to be built around whether or not she tells Brett that that she cheated on him? Like, is that going to basically be the, I, th- the thrust of the show? My feeling is that, that, they, that the way that they've handled the stuff before is that it, it's a misdirect. Like, that's we're going to find that out sooner rather than later and deal with the fallout. Um, I liked the way they, they, they played with it in the season because, you know, for the real together heads, know that last season ended with Duplass driving up to Sacramento, basically about to walk in on, on his wife um, having some, some stable time with a horse trainer from Luck. And then they started the season with, with a sex scene, but it was a misdirect. It wasn't that sex scene. So I, I think they know what they're doing just in terms of the emotional storytelling. Uh, it, it, it is hard to get worked up about the specifics of this. You know, in a, in a, in a Game of Thrones world, this is about as, as tiny as you can get. But I like, I like the emotional stakes of it. I just, are, you, are you just, are you mezzo-mezzo on it? I like it. I thought it was interesting that this this episode seemed to be the most, like, professionally directed Duplass thing I've seen it so far. Like the, it had like elements of like almost nineties, not thriller, but like the, the cross cutting in the, the Sacramento flashback that Melanie Linsky's character was happening. And some of the, just the, the way that they handle some things, it almost speaks to like a almost professionalization of what is usually a very kind of like naturalistic and, and, and straightforward uh, filming style. I thought so. That I thought that was cool. A Pete is just like such a heat check performer right now. She's so good, um, and I, I really enjoy her her storyline. I'll be interested. I like that they went to New Orleans. I like that they switched it up a little bit. Um, yeah. it, it definitely needed, I needed some good. change. I was absolutely scandalized by the idea that you would check into a hotel in New Orleans and be like, "Let's eat French fries from the hotel." Yeah. By the way, you are really just coming out as a foodie on this episode. No, but I'm that's really just disgusting. If I if my if my if I was married to Mark Duplass and he brought me into a yeah. hotel room and was like, uh, "Sorry, I was going to get something more New Orleans, but they didn't have anything." P.S. Here's some fries that I pre-ordered from us, so God knows how long they've been sitting on that yeah. bed. I'd be like, "You better get me a, a muffaletta before I smack the glasses off your face." No, I, I, I think you've really hit on something here. That's really true. First of all, room service French fries, never good. You better get that Cochon reservation going right now. Seriously, get the Herb Saint set. You know what I mean? Like, you get yourself a po' boy, you get some oysters. That that was that was problematic. Um, you know, but, but then you, you catch a glimpse of Peter Gallagher's sweet mustache, you know, or they put the lower dens on the soundtrack. Yeah. I'm feeling it. A lot of uh, it's, uh, you know, it, gorgeous indie rock it, it, ending episodes last night. Oh, except for Billions, where he it's, listened it's, to Master of Puppets. <laughs> <laughs> In light of that, I appreciate Billions more. You know, it, it's funny. It's, it's, it's just like this, it's TV is like the bespoke curated experience, right? It's like here's some – the soundtrack is basically the Spotify Discover Weekly playlist. You know, it's, it's actors doing small things with like insidey jokes. Like that appeals to us. Um, the big argument to extrapolate out of this with TV is just like – we are well serviced. Here. Yes, you know what I We're mean. Like you and I, in yeah. our interests, we are being very well serviced by the glut of television right now. And I don't think that's the case for people who literally aren't us. And I feel like I would like to see some shows that might not be literally made for me, where it's just like, oh, I ended a mixtape with that song too. Thanks, Jay and Mark. You know, <laughs> um, that's where I that charge my nice Honda Fit as well. Next wave. Um, Okay, well, let's wrap things up by just uh, a show that we touched on uh, a couple of weeks ago and that we both had mixed feelings in a way that you usually don't have mixed feelings. I think usually when you say you have mixed feelings about a show, it means you liked a couple episodes and you didn't like a couple episodes. London Spy, which just ended its five-episode run on BBC America last week, so you can probably watch all of those on iTunes or or whatever your, your streaming service of choice is. And... You know, well, usually when we talk about these limited British-based series that that do three to six to eight episodes, we think about them as being very compact and very uh, economical with their stories and very like, this is the thing that I want to do. I'm going to take a couple episodes to do it, and then it's going to be done, and it's going to be a complete sentence. And London Spy is the most elliptical five-episode series I think we will ever see. I have never seen a weirder show get so weird in five episodes where I was literally like, what am I watching? Like, this is so strange. Yeah. And I would get emails from people that'd be like, 
and different people about different episodes basically be like all in love this show on episode three and then like five minutes later i get an, an email that'd be like this show sucks and then you'd get an episode for episode yeah. the same and they would switch and it wasn't like it turned into like a wildly different show but I've never seen something that was so dedicated to the idea of sticking with the perspective of a character who actually doesn't, ne- you know, the whole idea is like thrown into a world that he doesn't understand. And then the course of the show learns to understand it. And while that does happen for Ben Wishaw's character, I still feel in the dark about it. And it's it, it was not necessarily satisfying, but it was very compelling. Yeah, he doesn't learn. He just kind of uses his strange intuition and connects things that weren't otherwise obvious to connect. But he was connecting yeah, things about I, his I, I, own, like, life. I think I felt like it was more about <laughs> looking for love in a, a lonely city than it was about yeah, spies. I, and I think that in and of itself is interesting and, and, and still makes the show worthwhile. I mean, I think you're being, again, you're being generous towards it because the drop-off in, the drop-off between the first three episodes and the last two is considerable. And... We were definitely on the front lines yelling to people this was the next great series because we had watched three. Mm-hmm. So we definitely should have watched the other two. Big picture takeaway here is that Tom Rob Smith, who's a novelist who created the show and wrote it, did exactly what he wanted to do. This was the story he wanted to tell, and kudos to him and to BBC for just letting it letting it run exactly how he wanted it to be. Um, what You could extrapolate a bunch of things from the show, one of which is it's really, really hard to make, to deal with a moment when shows become TV shows, when good ideas become TV shows, right? Because the first three episodes, which are just a masterclass and paranoia, and they're deeply unsettling and discomforting in ways we've never seen before on TV, and they're dealing with, with um, subcultures and cultures that we rarely see given primacy of focus on TV. Um, and then in episode four, there has to be a MacGuffin, and there's the trick, and there's the thing that they were doing, mm-hmm. and they have to figure out why they're doing it and what it is, and then that's it. You know, there has to be a reason why as opposed to how. And that trips up tons of great shows. It trips up network shows. It trips up cable shows all the time. So I feel like the emotional journey, which is what interested Tom Rob Smith, and to read the interviews, it's what interested Ben Wishaw and Jim Broadbent, who are just spectacular performers on this show, too. He was able to tell that story, the one that interested him. Yeah. And I think the, the finale brought it back to a place where, okay, that's what the show is about, and I appreciated it. The episode four was just was poor. I mean, it just was not a very good episode because you're dealing with people who don't tell the truth about themselves or about each other professionally and personally. And then you have episode four be about, oh, he invented a machine that stops lying. Right. Or identifies lying. Right. It's like, well, whenever you have the magic machine, it's always going to trip you up a little bit. But, um, but the, but I'm still, yeah, I'm realizing as I'm talking about it, I think we're just still a little thrown for a loop because, God, those first three episodes, I would still recommend them to anyone right now. They were completely engaging and totally surprising. And then the drop-off, it, we're not used to that sort of thing. It, it's, it's almost as if the show should have been two hours shorter or ten hours longer. Yeah, exactly. You know, it, it, it landed in this strange place where it was just over. And it and the flaws were magnified by and it. And there's a world the in there like, like, with... Um... What, which was Scotty's like roommates and or Danny's roommates or whatever, and um, you know Scotty's life that his his sort of like well well to do life of post espionage London and there's all those places they could have explored. I think the five episode thing is an odd thing. It reminded me a lot of bands in the '90s that we used to like a lot who would get right up to the edge of making a pop song and then be like, nah. No, nah, you don't. You don't yeah. get that. You don't get the hook. You or my guitar is out of tune, or it's a weird. You know, we've dropped D or whatever. It's like it's it's. It was an interesting experiment in pop television making, in a sense. And for that, I'm really appreciative of it. I I think that watching a few episodes of Last Panthers, which we're going to talk about when it gets uh, closer to air in April, and knowing Night Manager is coming, I mean, we're going to have plenty of international espionage to keep our our coffers fill so it's okay to have this like weird experiment and i would say to people do you only have three hours a week to watch television then maybe you shouldn't watch london spy there's probably other stuff to watch do you have are you deeply interested in weird television check out london spy i think i would be interested to know what you thought i I like that you're basically saying it's the bright in the corners yeah exactly yeah and 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 episode two is shady lane episode two is like a per it's like an amazing perfect episode of television Here's the, yeah, it's, it's it's interesting. I mean, basically, if we're if we're entering a place where 
a blockbuster economy on TV, too, where in order to get noticed, in order to get made, you have to have a genre hook, then I would definitely rather see people like Tom Rupp Smith being like, okay, I'll try on those clothes, even though they don't fit me, and I'll run around in them, um, than, you know, another boilerplate spy show, basically, which is a strange thing for me to say, because you and I will always talk about even the boilerplate spy shows, because we love them. But what I mean is, in a world where we have, you know, increasing numbers of superhero shows on American airwaves, right? And they're essentially all the same, partly because they're all made by Greg Berlanti. Like, I wouldn't mind seeing someone who loathes superheroes or has no interest in superheroes make the superhero show. In general, I don't want that. But in contrast to what everything else, which is so um, slavishly devotional to the whole idea of them and the mythology of them, right? Like, where's... Like where where where's David Milch's superhero show? You know right. what I mean? Like just to, just to a little little vinegar to all the to all the honey. And similarly, so Tom Rob Smith has said that he just didn't have any interest in a spy show. He had an interest. Nor in does he have any interest in doing a second season of the show. He's just like I'm. This the show's over. Yeah, it's weird. He actually set it up so that there could kind of be, yes. but there really like a riding off into the sunset, him, right? Yeah, yeah. Because BBC asked him to make another. I one. think that they showed interest, um, and he was just like, "I'm a good." This is where, you know, we always come back to the, like trying to trying to catch the, the strands of, of this quickly evolving industry here. But like this is this this is if Netflix just has a wide open pool and is basically like jump in, there's plenty of water, and there's plenty of space. I hope that we can have some more idiosyncratic uh, uh, talents and creators taking swings like that. Yeah, me too. And I don't know if they're in the business of funding them yet in the same way the BBC seems to be right well i mean i i i not not to puff my own collar here but i i I really i just think vampire doctors are interesting um andy we're gonna wrap it up here uh thanks to you for another week we'll probably be back later this week with a re-up i'm enjoying it i mean as long as you want to talk to me and yell at me the way you like men doing i'm happy to be that that foil um okay we'll talk to you thursday or friday and otherwise have a great week great job ricky Before we go, I just want to say thanks again to our sponsor, Uber. We all have those times when you need a little extra money. Well, I've got a really easy way you can do it. Drive with Uber. Uber is a smartphone app that connects riders with drivers. So as a driver, it helps you make extra money driving your own car. And it's totally flexible. You don't have to quit your day job to make more money because Uber lets you make extra money on your schedule. Whenever you need to make extra money, just turn on the app and drive. A few hours here, a few hours there. All adds up fast. And it's really easy to get started. First... Go to drivewithuber.com, sign up for free. You can do it right now on your phone. Second, answer a few basic questions about you and your car and then get approved. Third, start driving. It's all you have to do. Told you it was easy. Start enjoying your flexibility, driving with Uber, working when you want, earning extra money when you want on your schedule. Sign up to drive with Uber today. Go to drivewithuber.com. That's drivewithuber.com. That's drivewithuber.com. And also, thanks to Viceland. Uh, it's a new television network from Vice. You can catch uh, my favorite show, Fuck That's Delicious, on that. And that is debuting February 29th. Check local listings.